I'm Leon Davis, and this is One Good Question. There are a lot of conversations about COVID-19 and how it is affecting those on the front lines. But there aren't a lot of conversations with those same people who have to deal with it in their day-to-day. With that in mind, I'm speaking to five different nurses from five different disciplines, all living in different areas of the United States. And they're all dealing with COVID-19 on different levels. In the spirit and tradition of One Good Question, they all received the same question. Although common themes surfaced, they all left me with different things to think about. And that is the one thing that struck me. No matter how hard we tried to fit this into a neat little box, the opinions about this pandemic, how it has been handled, and what needs to be done going forward are as diverse as this nation. The question, what do you think the biggest thing that people on both sides of the political spectrum of this very non-political issue are missing at the ground level? My guest today is Livonia Adula. Livonia is an emergency room nurse here in the Dallas area. But Livonia has been working on contract in the New York City area. At the time we recorded this, she was waiting the call to go help in Philadelphia. Hey, V, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. I know you aren't in town for a long time, probably, but I appreciate you uh, giving us your time. Uh, What do you think is the biggest thing that people on both sides of the political spectrum of this very non-political issue are missing at the ground level? Well, there's actually one thing is really hard to say. There's two things from my point of view. The first thing is definitely prevention. We're not doing enough on either side to prevent this disease from spreading or this virus from spreading rapidly through our country. Obviously, the numbers are not as high as previously projected, which is a great thing. But at the same time, I think also us implementing the stay-at-home order in the beginning was a very great idea, but we did not do much with the time. As much as I don't want to make this a political issue, it is a political issue because it has stopped us from working. It has stopped us from being social with each other. And, you know, our culture is very social. As you can see, we haven't, we haven't been able to go to, to bars, to have drinks, to restaurants, to hang out, to malls, to shop. And so it is really a stressful time for everyone. I know there was one young lady who was on my Facebook feed when I talked about how important social distancing was and what we should do. She was very upset. She was like, well, I don't think we should stay at home. I can't feed my kids. I don't understand what, you know, what the the big deal is. Why do we have to stay at home? The virus is going to spread anyway. And although her statements were very true, I would think that our government would prepare the healthcare system a little bit better. But even with the reopening now here in Texas, the hospital systems are still short on PPE, just the basic things that we need, like masks and gowns and especially the N95 masks are the big things. We're short on that still. We still don't have enough to give a provider one every day whenever they come into work, which is a scary thing. In school, we're taught to wear an N95 mask one time. It's one time use, but we're seeing that hospitals and healthcare workers are stretching these and wearing the same mask for a week. Like that's, you know, that's not okay. Like you're causing healthcare professionals not only to be sick, but also to be vectors coming home and we're catching COVID-19, even though we're not having the symptoms like fever, chills, cough, 
and everything. We're not having those symptoms, but yet we're carriers. So we're carrying them to the grocery stores or carrying them to the gas stations and even to our own family members. And so from both sides, it's really not, you know, a fun thing like to say, oh my goodness, let's do this stay at home order. Of course, I don't want my fellow Americans to be without some type of livelihood. But at the same time, I don't want to be at work overwhelmed and swamped with patients and not having enough PPE to protect myself, enough PPE to protect other patients as well as not having the resources to actually take care of someone. Do you think it is more on the political side or is on the supply chain side? Do you think people are getting lost in the political side and missing the supply chain side? Because that's where I, I personally, I'm, I'm thinking that, like, especially here in Texas, we spent more energy thinking about how to reopen our economy and not enough energy on how to build the infrastructure to support this so that when we reopen our economy. Correct. And that's the where the point that I talked about as far as prevention, that's what we're missing. Yeah. We're not focused on, okay, we know the hospitals don't have enough PPE. Who can make PPE? I like to compare this to a war because it really is a war, even though it's biological war fair. Like nobody really, you know, gave us the virus. But however, um, when you think about wartime, let's just say, for instance, we were going to war with another country. It would take us no time, no time at all, usually in the Department of Defense, no time at all to build a bomb, no time at all to build tankers, no time at all to get ammunition. Like even though the government puts out these contracts, the contracts are with local, federal, big corporations that can mass produce all of these things. And there's no way that, you know, I feel like we can have mass production of bombs and and shells and guns and even you know protective gear for our army to go into war but you can't make paper masks in mass droves like it doesn't make sense at all and so for hospitals or even people to hoard these masks and hospitals not give them to their care workers because they're afraid that they're going to run out that shouldn't be a thing that should even be a thought here in america like we should be able to mass produce paper masks and mass produce plastic gowns like it's really really not that hard but it's like no one's developing like you said that supply chain it's like oh well we want to shut these parts of the country down well wait we mess up the economy so maybe we should open it up and it's like well you shut it down for a reason what was the reason and now that we have failed to prepare ourselves, even with the stay-at-home order, it makes me question, why do we even have the stay-at-home order? Why did you put so many Americans through that stress and that pain of not being able to go to work, not being able to provide for their children? And we're about to go back into the same mess that we started in. Like, what was the point? So from both sides, I can understand the frustration from both healthcare workers as well as the American people. But in this case, like I said, we call for a national emergency. So federal funding was there. Yeah. Where did all those dollars go? Yeah. And, and we didn't ramp up. You made a good point. Like in wartime, we jump started our economy off of World War II because mm-hmm. we switched everything over and we were able to do that relatively fast. And the things that we're trying to do now that we need to be mass producing now don't seem to be nearly as complicated as the things they needed then. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how things play out over the coming months and coming years, but it's definitely changed our paradigm and 
something our, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our sense, our sense of normal is definitely um, going to change. I'm in the restaurant industry, so I've been having a lot of philosophical discussions about the industry and how our industry is going to move forward from now. Just hundred percent honest with you, restaurants are not a vital to anything. You know, we don't do anything. They are. <laughs> People don't honestly like. Even, I've never done so much cooking before in my life, and yeah. I'm so used to being able to say, "Oh, I'm gonna just go eat here," and oh, I'm just going to eat there. But not only am I scared to leave because I possibly would be a vector, but also I'm scared to catch it in the public. Like, yeah. you know, because not everybody's wearing masks, in which I think a lot of people these days, um, as far as going into this political war, because like I said, as much as we would like to pull politics out of it, this is all political. Everything that we're dealing with is political at this point. There are people in Walmart still walking around without masks. You even have individuals walking around with cloth masks. And the CDC has already stated at first, they told healthcare workers that it was okay to wear bandanas as a mask. Like, Come on, we know yeah, that's not yeah. going to protect us. But now they have changed that statement, and N95 masks are recommended. So if if it's recommended for the healthcare workers, why don't we have an N95 mask for every American out there? It, like I said, it just doesn't make sense to me how we can mass produce bullets and tanks and bombs, but we can't mass produce a paper mask. Like it just it baffles me to the point, like it frustrates me too. Like, it's like my gut feeling is that there's no way for anyone to make billions off of it afterwards, <laughs> as opposed to with bullets and all those other things, they can keep figuring out ways to leverage that into billions of dollars, just because that seems to be the nature of our society. Yeah, um, you would think 3M would, I mean, there's plenty of empty buildings and factories out here. You would think 3M would purchase one really quickly and begin, because you know the money's going to come back. Yeah, and, and lots of people looking for work, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like, eh, what, yeah. who's really making these decisions? Who's coming up with this? And, you know, I really, you know, I don't blame President Trump for it at all. I don't yeah. blame because he's only one person and he's not making all of these decisions by himself. There are so many multiple systems. You have Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense, uh, FEMA, like all of these different areas and government programs that we have already established. I feel like they're not being as forceful and not coming with real true plans. And they are leaving it up to the states who aren't really used to dealing with this and not having the funding for it because we call it a national state of emergency. So we have to get it from the federal. So it's, it's just, as much as we want to say it's not political, it is all. Yeah. yeah so it's funny because you, you were talking about the levels and how it's pretty much being left up to the state. I was listening to someone from emergency management, previous administrations talk about how local governments execute the state government supports, but all that's supposed to be coordinated at the federal at, level. At the, I mean, to me, state coordinates federal supports and federal is supposed to be able to give support so that state can coordinate so that the local can execute. And right now it seems that on the national level, we don't have that support. So, so that, so the states are trying to do two things at once. They're trying well, to do the support honestly, and coordinate. Well, honestly, the, I think the federal government has the funding to be able to support whatever the states want to do. But the problem is you have democratic and you have Republican parties who have different outlooks on what our economy is supposed to look like, what their state 
is supposed to look like, what a red and what a blue state is supposed to look like. And honestly, at this point, we have to take politics out of it. Literally, they have to take politics out of it, which I think they're having a hard time doing. You know, some states thrive on, you know, their economy booming. Like Texas, we're not going to feel it that bad here in Texas just because Texas is its own country. It can sustain through any economic crisis that comes about. Yeah, I think the oil thing is hurting us more than (laughs) COVID-19. Right, right. (laughs) So with that being said, with the states that possibly can't support themselves, like Louisiana or Mississippi, like, if the COVID-19 crisis were to hit, which with what they're seeing right now in New Orleans, they're going to need as much support as they can from the federal government, which you've also seen it happen in New York. New York is probably one of the richest states besides California. Yeah. And they, too, had to call a national emergency and get funding from the federal government in order to control the crisis because their system was completely overran with COVID patients. And so with all of that being said, I think it was, um, I would say it was a disadvantage that Trump didn't just say, okay, here's what we're going to do, like across the board, instead of leaving it up to the states. I think this was his time to really shine in that era because he has that they do what I say do. I'm the boss. I'm the man attitude. And this was like the perfect instance for him to be like, hey, listen, everybody shut down. This is what can be open. This is what can be closed. Everybody open up and this is how we're going to do it. Instead of leaving it up to the states because we're not making decisions on one accord. You know, you have yeah. Arkansas who's still open and Texas right here who's closed. And then somebody's coming from Arkansas into Texas. Like yeah. it just, it's not working. It's yeah. not working. O- open state borders changes everything. Everybody has to be on the same page. Right. <laughs> I agree on that. So you mentioned New York city and you just got back from there. So yeah. can you tell, uh, tell me a little bit about what you, what you're seeing there because there's always conflicting reports because we're way down here in Texas. And so You've been there. So what are you seeing there? So the first thing is I want everybody to know that this is a new virus that we are dealing with. And it's not actually the virus that is getting people. It's more of the complications that come along with the virus. We have never in our, well, I'm going to just say for me. I've been a nurse practitioner for 10 years. I've worked ER the entire time. So I see people usually at the beginning of the worst part of their disease or right when it's at its worst. And Um, with this virus, we've never seen anything that was so deadly, that caused so many different complications. And I'm talking about multi-system organ damage. I mean, it affects the lungs. It affects affects your um, clotting system. It affects your (laughs) kidneys, liver. It's just not, it's not friendly at all. And going into New York, I went kind of after the crisis hit, I wasn't there in the beginning. And I know the horrid stories that you heard about the beginning of it. Yes, um, the beginning of it was pretty bad just because they didn't know what to do. China is not sharing their information about how they treated it. So we are having to rely on what they did in Italy as well as what they did in France. And, you know, the thing about it is United States, we have some of the most advanced technology here. So There are a lot of things that Italy and France are behind on that we are already up on that we can, you know, go ahead and just implement some of these treatments. Now, also, once we got a handle on a better way to save these patients or where to when to start, 
that's whenever the trend begins to go down because now we know we kind of know what we're doing. We're not new at this. We know what to expect. We know what's going to come. We know what we're going to see. When I made it to New York, the decline was starting to happen. I worked at a field hospital that was outside of the hospital, so we didn't have all of the fancy technology that the hospitals did, but all of our patients were COVID-19 positive. And for me, what I seen, it really wasn't so much of the person having this cough, cold, pneumonia type illness. It was more of the other things that was going on, patients going in and out of what we call atrial fibrillation, patients having blood clots and a lab called D-dimer that is really, really high. And this D-dimer lets us know that you have a blood clot, whether it's in your legs or your lungs and your heart or your brain causing strokes. So the complications is what um, we were, that I was taking care of more than just really the COVID-19. Now I did have one particular patient who was having a very hard time breathing. We had him on six liters of nasal cannula. He was still not getting in air. Every time he coughed, it just sounded like he was suffocating. It was pretty scary to see and I don't know if you've ever been short of breath before I grew up with asthma so yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so can you imagine like having an asthma attack and that anxiety that overwhelms you like this is what these patients are dealing with day in day out while they try to fight off the virus because you know we don't have any antivirals that are readily available that's going to be effective in treating this and so It was really, you know, a learning experience from my point of view, just seeing these patients battle it. And like I said, it wasn't the battle of actual COVID-19. It was the battle of all the other complications that came along with it. And yeah, that's what I did. Um, I really didn't have a lot of critical patients because like I said, at the field hospital, we didn't have those, we didn't have the luxury of that. But um, my contract was cut short because they're getting better. They have more than enough staff. They didn't need a nurse practitioner there. You know, they have doctors and nurses who can do the same thing that I was doing. So they did send me home. But there are other hot spots popping up and that are in need. And so I'm just coming to risk because I worked like 10 days straight. It was, yeah, yeah. Dallas, Dallas might need you soon enough. It looks like we're starting to spike a little bit. But um, yes, yes. I, comm- I commend you for your bravery going in there to help. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. So, I mean, I had to. We weren't feeling the effects here, which I doubt. You know, I don't think we'll be overran here in Texas. It's just such a big state, and we have so many resources, so many hospitals for every patient, and we're we're spread out. We're not living on top of each other. Yeah. We are in New York and some of these northern cities. Um, so that is a, a good thing to look forward to, knowing that here in Dallas and the DFW area is not going to be that hard hit. Yeah, to see how quickly they shut down New York, that was amazing to me because I've been there several times and just to see the streets empty, it, mm-hmm. it just baffling me. And something that you'd never in a million years think you'd ever see the streets of New York look like that. And then it's a ghost town. You're like, right, right. It's, it's a, it was amazing to me, but it was what was needed to get, to get them back because they just live so close. Nobody has a car. Um, somebody was, uh, I was listening to a, another podcast today and somebody mentioned that like in states where we have the luxury of needing a car to go from point A to point B, but that luxury affords you the ability not to have to contact people in your travel to work. Very like true. It, in New York, most people take the subway or they walk and they pass 
thousands of other people on their small trek to they could be going 10 blocks and you could pass 10,000 people like that. Right. And right. it, and it's, and it's just different. So New York has a different beast to handle than places like here in the DFW area where you pretty much have to have a car to get, get around because there's no public transportation worth really mentioning they're just going to get you there <laughs> right. so, and like i said they just literally live on top of each other yeah. the hotel that i stayed in was on the 33rd floor and i was just like wow you know yeah, this is yeah. the second time that i've ever been to new york and i remember the first time that i went there just for visiting i was not a fan i mean there's trash on the street <laughs> people everywhere i was like how do people live like this like it was not fun at all yeah, I love that city. But um, last time I was there, same thing. And the crazy thing is when you're up that high. So last time I was there, I was on the 27th floor. And it's funny when you look out how many buildings are taller than you. <laughs> you're, right. you're like, the building I mean, is nowhere near the tallest in the area. <laughs> so Right, right. Awesome. Well, uh, definitely. That was, um, thank you very much. Very insightful. And I appreciate you joining me today. That was, uh, that was good. Definitely some things that I haven't heard. I mean, COVID-19 is here. It's not going anywhere. It's not not going to ease up. It's not going to let up. It's just we have to become stronger and better at handling it. And that's going to take everybody from both sides, not just healthcare professionals being heroes on the front line, but we need every American to learn how to social distance, learn how to recognize their symptoms and prevention. My gosh, prevention is so important. I know a lot of people are on Trump's case about um, prescribing hydrochloroquine is, hey, this is the drug of choice. And, you know, and studies are like, well, these patients in the hospital are dying. It's like, well, you're giving it to them too late. Like, that's too late to give somebody hydrochloroquine when they're on the deathbed. How about give it to the person that has the cold, cough and flu from the beginning and see if it helps them. But like I said, here in America, we do not focus on prevention, like the primary portion. Like I know so many Americans who don't even have a primary care provider, which, you know, you have to have a primary care provider. It's important for you to know what your cholesterol levels are, what your blood pressure runs on a daily basis. And these are things that you have to know. So if we had that system in place and not so focused on treatment, and we had prevention down packed, man, I think this would have been so much better. We would have handled it a lot better. And now, you know, we just got to yeah. hold on and just yeah. see what happens. Yeah, we're looking for that magic bullet and it's not there. <laughs> so No, it's not. Um, well, I, well, once again, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, thank you for your time. It gave us a lot to think about uh, going forward. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's good to hear from somebody on the front lines who's been there mm-hmm. somewhere that uh, that's more affected than where we are because it's kind of a sprinkling here. I mean, it's here too, though. I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I left working in the ER here. Um, I work at multiple ERs in the DFW area, but I've been exposed to two. And it just, you know, it's everywhere. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be here with us. And so you just got to learn how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you. Um, safe travels. Um, when you leave again, um, stay safe. And, um, once again, definitely appreciate the things that you're doing and appreciate your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Earlier, Livonia mentioned that she had two points during the post interview. She started getting into that second point. I thought that it would be good to add that part of our discussion. 
And that was the other thing that I was going to say, which I know you said name one thing that, you know, that is affecting us. But the next thing that we're missing is sympathy. We do not care about how each other feels. You know, when you think about these healthcare workers that are on the front line and see these people crying and like, oh my gosh, like you got to think about it. We see death all the time. This is a normal thing for us. So if you see a healthcare professional crying, we're losing patients faster than we ever have in our entire career. And it's kind of scary. And then on top of that, like I said, this you have this single mother who can't get food stamps or get food for her children. She's been furloughed off of her job or this man who's lost his job and he's the primary income for his family. Like we have got to have sympathy for each other because everybody's hurting in some form or fashion at this time. And it's not, it's not there. It's not there. People are going off on each other on Facebook, calling each other idiots and stupid and you're this and you're that. And it's like, Hey, everybody's hurting. Where is your sympathy? Like it's missing. Well, awesome. Thank you very much. Once again, um, it was awesome interview. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. You're welcome. All right. I appreciate it. Enjoy your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Safe travels. Thanks. I want to thank you for listening today. If this is your first episode in this series, I invite you to please go back and listen to our previous four episodes. I want to thank all the nurses that were gracious enough to give me their time and participate in this project. I hope that this was as informative to you as it was for me. This is Nurses Month. Please find a nurse and thank them for all that they do, not just now, but always. Until next time, stay safe and take care. This has been One Good Question. Once again, I'm your host, Leon Davis. Theme music by DJ Seth Lowry. Other music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen. To catch up with us on social, check the show notes.